the years of which I have spoken to you, when I pursued the inner images, were the most important time of my life. Everything else is to be derived from this. It began at that time, and the later details hardly matter anymore. My entire life consisted in elaborating what had burst forth from the unconscious, and flooded me like an enigmatic stream and threatened to break me. That was the stuff and material for more than only one life. Everything later was merely the outer classification, the scientific elaboration, and the integration into life. But the numinous beginning, which contained everything, was then. These are the words of the psychologist Carl Jung in 1957, referring to the decades he worked on the Red Book from 1914 to 1930. This is a wonderful work, incredibly mysterious and deep. He went on a journey of going through internal images and visions, which he brought about through certain practices, and he recorded over the course of about 10 years all these experiences and put them in a book. It reads kind of almost like a biblical epic type of story and involves many beautiful things and many spiritual insights. For that reason, I would like to share a reading out of the Red Book this week on the Story Hour. Um, it was edited and has an introduction from Sanu Shamadasani, and it was written by Carl Jung. The original version of this book has beautiful uh, Latin writing, and it has paintings that Carl Jung himself made. The uh, more personal reader's edition is just the stories within it. That's the one I'm using today. Hope you guys enjoy. Refinding the Soul when I had the vision of the flood in October of the year 1913, it happened at a time that was significant for me as a man. At that time, in the 40th year of my life, I had achieved everything that I had wished for myself. I had achieved honor, power, wealth, knowledge, and every human happiness. Then my desire for the increase of these trappings ceased. The desire ebbed from me, and horror came over me. The vision of the flood seized me, and I felt the spirit of the depths, but I did not understand him. Yet he drove me on with unbearable inner longing, and I said, My soul, where are you? Do you hear me? I speak. I call you. Are you there? I have returned. I am here again. I have shaken the dust of all the lands from my feet, and I have come to you. I am with you. After long years of long wandering, I have come to you again. Should I tell you everything I have seen, experienced, and drunk in? Or do you not want to hear about all the noise of life in the world? But one thing you must know. The one thing I have learned is that one must live this life. This life is the way, the long sought after way to the unfathomable, which we call divine. There is no other way. All other ways are false paths. I found the right way. It led me to you, my soul. I returned tempered and purified. Do you still know me? How long the separation lasted? Everything has become so different. And how did I find you? How strange my journey was. What words should I use to tell you on what twisted paths a good star has guided me to you? Give me your hands, my almost forgotten soul. How warm the joy at seeing you again, you long disavowed soul. Life has led me back to you. Let us thank the life I have lived for all the happy and all the sad hours, for every joy, for every sadness. My soul, my journey should continue with you. I still wander with you and ascend to my solitude. The spirit of the depths forced me to say this, and at the same time to undergo it against myself, since I had not expected it then. I still labored misguidedly under the spirit of this time, and thought differently about the human soul. I thought and spoke much of the soul. I knew many learned words for her. I had judged her and turned her into a scientific object. I did not consider that my soul cannot be the object of my judgment and knowledge. 
much more are my judgment and knowledge the objects of my soul. Therefore, the spirit of the depths forced me to speak to my soul, to call upon her as a living and self-existing being. I had to become aware that I had lost my soul. From this, we learn how the spirit of the depths considers the soul. He sees her as a living and self-existing being. And with this, he contradicts the spirit of his time, for whom the soul is a thing dependent on man, which lets herself be judged and arranged, and whose circumference we can grasp. I had to accept that what I had previously called my soul was not my soul at all, but a dead system. Hence, I had to speak to my soul as to something far off and unknown, which did not exist through me, but through whom I existed. He whose desire turns away from outer things reaches the place of the soul. If he does not find the soul, the horror of emptiness will overcome him, and fear will drive him with a whip lashing time and again in a desperate endeavor and a blind desire for the hollow things of the world. He becomes a fool through his endless desire, and forgets the way of his soul, never to find her again. He will run after all things, and will seize hold of them, but he will not find his soul, since he would find her only in himself. Truly his soul lies in things and men, but the blind one seizes things and men, yet not his soul in things and men. He has no knowledge of his soul. How could he tell her apart from things and men? He could find his soul in desire itself, but not in the objects of desire. If he possessed his desire, and his desire did not possess him, he would lay a hand on his soul, since his desire is the image and expression of his soul. If we possess the image of a thing, we possess half the thing. The image of the world is half the world. He who possesses the world, but not its image, possesses only half the world, since his soul is poor and has nothing. The wealth of the soul exists in images. He who possesses the image of the world possesses half the world, even if his humanity is poor and owns nothing. But hunger makes my soul into a beast that devours the unbearable and is poisoned by it. My friends, it is wise to nourish the soul, otherwise you will breed dragons and devils in your heart. Soul and God On the second night I called out to my soul. I am wary, my soul. My wandering has lasted too long. My search for myself outside of myself. Now I have gone through events and find you behind all of them. For I made discoveries on my erring through events, humanity, and the world. I found men, and you, my soul, I found again, first in images within men, and then you yourself. I found you where I least expected you. You climbed out of a dark shaft. You announced yourself to me in advance in dreams. They burned in my heart and drove me to all the boldest acts of daring, and forced me to rise above myself. You let me see truths of which I had no previous inkling. You let me undertake journeys whose endless length would have scared me if the knowledge of them had not been secure in you. I wandered for many years, so long that I forgot that I possessed a soul. Where were you all this time? Which beyond sheltered you and gave you sanctuary? Oh, that you must speak through me, that my speech and I are your symbol and expression. How should I decipher you? Who are you, child? My dreams have represented you as a child and as a maiden. I am ignorant of your mystery. Forgive me if I speak as in a dream, like a drunkard. Are you God? Is God a child, a maiden? Forgive me if I babble. No one else hears me. I speak to you quietly, and you know that I am neither a drunkard nor someone deranged, and that my heart twists in pain from the wound, whose darkness delivers speeches full of mockery. You are lying to yourself. You spoke so as to deceive others and make them believe in you. You want to be a prophet and chase after your ambition. The wound still bleeds, and I am far from being able to pretend that I do not hear the mockery. How strange it sounds to me to call you a child. You who still hold the all without end in your hands. I went on the way of the day, and you went invisibly with me, putting the pieces together meaningfully and letting me see the whole in each part. You took away where I thought to take hold, and you gave me where I did not expect anything, and time and again you brought about fate from new and unexpected quarters. 
Where I sowed, you robbed me of the harvest, and where I did not sow, you give me fruit a hundredfold. And time and again I lost the path and found it again, where I would have never foreseen it. You upheld my belief when I was alone and near despair. At every decisive moment, you let me believe in myself. Like a tired wanderer who had sought nothing in the world apart from her, shall I come closer to my soul. I shall learn that my soul finally lies behind everything, and if I cross the worlds, I am ultimately doing this to find my soul. Even the dearest are themselves not the goal and the end of love that goes on seeking. They are symbols of their own souls. My friends, do you guess to what solitude we ascend? I must learn that the dregs of my thoughts, my dreams, are the speech of my soul. I must carry them in my heart and go back and forth over them in my mind, like the words of the person dearest to me. Dreams are the guiding words of the soul. Why should I henceforth not love my dreams and not make the riddling images into objects of my daily consideration? You think that the dream is foolish and ungainly. What is beautiful? What is ungainly? What is clever? What is foolish? The spirit of the time is your measure, but the spirit of the depths surpasses it at both ends. Only the spirit of this time knows the difference between large and small, but this difference is invalid, like the spirit which recognizes it. The spirit of the depths even taught me to consider my action and my decision as dependent on dreams. Dreams pave the way for life, and they determine you without your understanding their language. One would like to learn this language, but who can teach and learn it? Scholarliness alone is not enough. There is a knowledge of the heart that gives deeper insight. The knowledge of the heart is in no book, and it is not to be found in the mouth of any teacher, but grows out of you like the green seed from the dark earth. Scholarliness belongs to the spirit of this time, but this spirit in no way grasps the dream, since the soul is everywhere that scholarly knowledge is not. But how can I attain knowledge of the heart? You can attain this knowledge only by living your life to the full. You live your life fully if you also live what you have never yet lived, but have left for others to live or to think. You will say, but I cannot live or think everything that others live or think. But you should say, the life that I could still live, I should live, and the thoughts that I could still think, I should think. It appears as though you want to flee from yourself, so as not to have to live what remains unlived until now. But you cannot flee from yourself. It is with you all the time and demands fulfillment. If you pretend to be blind and dumb to this demand, you feign being blind and deaf to yourself. This way you will never reach the knowledge of the heart. The knowledge of your heart is how your heart is. From a cunning heart you will know cunning. From a good heart you will know goodness. So that your understanding becomes perfect, consider that your heart is both good and evil. You ask, what, should I also live evil? The spirit of the depths demands, the life that you could still live you should live. Well-being decides not your well-being, not the well-being of the others, but only well-being. Well-being is between me and others in society. I too lived, which I had not done before, and which I could still do. I lived into the depths, and the depths began to speak. The depths taught me the other truth. It thus united sense and nonsense in me. I had to recognize that I am only the expression and symbol of the soul. In the sense of the spirit of the depths, I am as I am in this visible world a symbol of my soul and I am thoroughly a serf, completely subjugated, utterly obedient. The spirit of the depths taught me to say, I am the servant of a child. Through this dictum I learn above all the most extreme humility, as what I most need. The spirit of this time, of course, allowed me to believe in my reason. He let me see myself in the image of a leader with ripe thoughts, but the spirit of the depths teaches me that I am a servant, in fact, the servant of a child. This dictum was repugnant to me, and I hated it. But I had to recognize and accept that my soul is a child, and that my God in my soul is a child. If you are boys, your God is a woman. If you are women, your God is a boy. 
If you are men, your God is a maiden. The God is where you are not. So it is wise that one has a God. This serves for your perfection. A maiden is the pregnant future. A boy is the engendering future. A woman is having given birth. A man is having engendered. So if you are like childlike beings now, your God will descend from the height of ripeness to age and death. But if you are developed beings, having engendered or given birth in body or in soul, so your God rises from the radiant cradle to the incalculable height of the future, to the maturity and fullness of the coming time. He who still has his life before him is a child. He who lives life in the present is developed. If you thus live all that you can live, you are developed. He who is a child in this time, his God dies. He who is developed in this time, his God continues to live. The spirit of the depths teaches this mystery. Prosperous and woeful are those whose God is developed. Prosperous and woeful are those whose God is a child. What is better, that man has life ahead of him or that God does? I know no answer. Live. The unavoidable decides. The spirit of the depths taught me that my life is encompassed by the divine child. From his hand, everything unexpected came to me, everything living. The child is what I feel as an eternally springing youth in me. In childish men, you feel the hopeless transience. All that you saw passing is yet to come for him. His future is full of transience. But the transience of the things coming towards you has never yet experienced a human meaning. You're continuing to live as a living onward. You engender and give birth to what is to come. You are fecund. You live onward. The child is unfruitful. What is to come to him is what already has been engendered and already withered. It does not live onward. My God is a child. So wonder not that the spirit of this time in me is incensed to mockery and scorn. There will be no one who will laugh at me as I have laughed at myself. Your God should not be a man of mockery. Rather, you yourself will be the man of mockery. You should mock yourself and rise above this. If you have still not learned this from the old holy books, then go there. Drink the blood and eat the flesh of him who was mocked and tormented for the sake of our sins, so that you totally become his nature. Deny his being apart from you. You should be he himself, not Christians, but Christ. Otherwise, you will be of no use to the coming God. Is there any among you who believes he can be spared the way? Can he swindle his way past the pain of Christ? I say, such a one deceives himself to his own detriment. He beds down on thorns and fire. No one can be spared the way of Christ, since this way leads to what is to come. You should all become Christ. You do not overcome the old teachings through doing less, but through doing more. Every step closer to my soul excites the scornful laughter of my devils, those cowardly ear whispers and poison mixers. It was easy for them to laugh, since I had to do strange things. On the Service of the Soul On the following night, I had to write down all the dreams that I could collect, true to their wording. The meaning of this act was dark to me. Why all this? Forgive the fuss that rises in me. Yet you want me to do this. What strange things are happening to me? I know too much not to see on what swaying bridges I go. Where are you leading me? Forgive my excessive apprehension, brimful of knowledge. My foot hesitates to follow you. Into what mist and darkness does your path lead? Must I also learn to do without meaning? If this is what you demand, then so be it. This hour belongs to you. What is there where there is no meaning? Only nonsense or madness, it seems to me. Is there also a supreme meaning? Is that your meaning, my soul? I limp after you on crutches of understanding. I am a man and you stride like a god. What torture. I must return to myself, to my smallest things. I saw the things of my soul as small, pitiably small. You force me to see them as large, to make them large. Is that your aim? I follow, but it terrifies me. Hear my doubts, otherwise I cannot follow, since your meaning is a supreme meaning.
and your steps are the steps of a God. I understand. I must not think either. Should thought, too, no longer be? I should give myself completely into your hands. But who are you? I do not trust you. Not once to trust is that my love for you, my joy in you. Do I not trust every valiant man and not you, my soul? Your hand lies heavy on me, but I will, I will. Have I not sought to love men and trust them? And should I not do this with you? Forget my doubts. I know it is ignoble to doubt you. You know how difficult it is for me to set aside the beggar's pride I take in my own thought. I forgot that you are also one of my friends and have the first right to my trust. Should what I give them not belong to you? I recognize my injustice. It seemed to me that I despised you. My joy at finding you again was not genuine. I also recognize that the scornful laughter in me was right. I must learn to love you. Should I also set aside self-judgment? I am afraid. Then the soul spoke to me and said, This fear testifies against me. It is true. It testifies against you. It kills the holy trust between you and me. How hard is fate? If you take a step toward your soul, you will first miss the meaning. You will believe that you have sunk into meaninglessness, into eternal disorder. You will be right. Nothing will deliver you from disorder and meaninglessness, since this is the other half of the world. Your God is a child, so long as you are not childlike. Is the child order, meaning, or disorder, caprice? Disorder and meaninglessness are the mother of order and meaning. Order and meaning are things that have become and are no longer becoming. You open the gates of the soul to let the dark flood of chaos flow into your order and meaning. If you marry the order to the chaos, you produce the divine child, the supreme meaning beyond meaning and meaninglessness. You are afraid to open the door? I too was afraid, since we have forgotten that God is terrible. Christ taught God is love, but you should know that love is also terrible. I spoke to a loving soul, and as I drew nearer to her, I was overcome by horror, and I heaped up a wall of doubt, and did not anticipate that I thus wanted to protect myself from my fearful soul. You dread the depths. It should horrify you, since the way of what is to come leads through it. You must endure the temptation of fear and doubt, and at the same time acknowledge to the bone that your fear is justified and your doubt is reasonable. How otherwise could it be a true temptation and a true overcoming? Christ totally overcomes the temptation of the devil, but not the temptation of God to good and reason. Christ thus succumbs to cursing. You still have to learn this, to succumb to no temptation, but to do everything of your own will. Then you will be free and beyond Christianity. I have had to recognize that I must submit to what I fear. Yes, even more, that I even must love what horrifies me. We must learn from the saint that was disgusted by the plague infections. She drank the pus of plague boils and became aware that it smelled like roses. The acts of the saints were not in vain. In everything regarding your salvation and the attainment of mercy, you are dependent on your soul. Thus no sacrifice can be too great for you. If your virtues hinder you from salvation, discard them, since they have become evil to you. The slave to virtue finds the way as little as the slave to vices. If you believe that you are the master of your soul, then become her servant. If you are her servant, make yourself her master, since she needs to be ruled. These should be your first steps. During six further nights, the spirit of the depths was silent in me, since I swayed between fear, defiance, and nausea, and was wholly the prey of my passion. I could not and did not want to listen to the depths. But on the seventh night, the spirit of the depths spoke to me. Look into your depths. Pray to your depths. Waken the dead. But I stood helpless and did not know what I could do. I looked into myself, and the only thing I found within was the memory of earlier dreams, all of which I wrote down without knowing what good this would do. I wanted to throw everything away and return to the light of day, but the spirit stopped me and forced me back into myself.
The desert. Sixth night. My soul leads me into the desert. Into the desert of my own self. I did not think that my soul is a desert. A barren, hot desert, dusty and without drink. The journey leads through hot sand. Slowly waiting without a visible goal to hope for. How eerie is this wasteland. It seems to me that the way leads so far away from mankind. I take my way step by step and do not know how long my journey will last. Why is myself a desert? Have I lived too much outside of myself in men and events? Why did I avoid my soul? Was I not dear to myself? But I have avoided the place of my soul. I was my thoughts after I was no longer vents in other men. But I was not myself, confronted with my thoughts. I should also rise above my thoughts to my own self. My journey goes there, and that is why it leads away from men and events into solitude. Is it solitude to be with oneself? Solitude is true only when the self is a desert. Should I also make a garden out of the desert? Should I people a desolate land? Should I open the airy magic garden in the wilderness? What leads me into the desert, and what am I to do there? Is it a deception that I can no longer trust my thoughts? Only life is true, and only life leads me into the desert. Truly not my thinking. That would like to return to thoughts, to men and events, since it feels uncanny in the desert. My soul, what am I to do here? But my soul spoke to me and said, Wait, I heard the cruel word. Torment belongs to the desert. Through giving my soul all I could give, I came to the place of the soul, and found that this place was a hot desert, desolate and unfruitful, no culture of the mind is enough to make a garden out of your soul. I had cultivated my spirit, the spirit of this time in me, but not that spirit of the depths that turns to the things of the soul, the world of the soul. The soul has its own peculiar world. Only the self enters in there, or the man who has completely become his self, he who is neither in events nor in men nor in his thoughts. Through the turning of my desire from things and men, I turned myself away from things and men, but that is precisely how I became the secure prey of my thoughts. Yes, I wholly became my thoughts. I also had to detach myself from my thoughts and through turning my desire away from them. And at once, I noticed that myself became a desert where only the sun of unquiet desire burned. I was overwhelmed by the endless infertility of this desert. Even if something could have thrived there, the creative power of desire was still absent. Wherever the creative power of desire is, there springs the soil's own seed. But do not forget to wait. Did you not see that when your creative force turned to the world? how the dead things moved under it and through it, how they grew and prospered, and how your thoughts flowed in rich rivers. If your creative force now turns to the place of the soul, you will see how your soul becomes green and how its field bears wonderful fruits. Nobody can spare themselves the waiting, and most will be unable to bear this torment, but will throw themselves with greed back at men, things, and thoughts, whose slaves they will become from then on. Since then, it will have been clearly proved that this man is incapable of enduring beyond things, men, and thoughts, and they will hence become his master, and he will become their fool, since he cannot be without them, not until even his soul has become a fruitful field. Also, he whose soul is a garden needs things, men, and thoughts, but he is their friend, and not their slave and fool. Everything to come was already in images. To find their soul, the ancients went into the desert. This is an image. The ancients lived their symbols, since the world had not yet become real for them. Thus they went into the solitude of the desert to teach us that the place of the soul is a lonely desert. There they found the abundance of visions, the fruits of the desert, the wondrous flowers of the soul. Think diligently about the images that the ancients have left behind. They show the way of what is to come. Look back at the collapse of empires, of growth and death, of the desert and monasteries. They are the images of what is to come. Everything has been foretold, but who knows how to interpret it? When you say that the place of the soul is not, then it is not. But if you say that it is, then it is. Notice what the ancients said in the images. The word is a creative act. 
The ancients said, in the beginning was the word. Consider this and think about it. The words that oscillate between nonsense and supreme meaning are the oldest and truest. Experiences in the Desert After a hard struggle, I have come a piece of the way nearer to you. How hard the struggle was. I had fallen into an undergrowth of doubt, confusion, and scorn. I recognize that I must be alone with my soul. I come with empty hands to you, my soul. What do you want to hear? But my soul spoke to me and said, If you come to a friend, do you come to take? I knew that this should not be so. But it seems to me that I am poor and empty. I would like to sit down near you and at least feel the breath of your animating presence. My way is hot sand, all day long, sandy, dusty paths. My patience is sometimes weak, and once I despaired of myself, as you know. My soul answered and said, You speak to me as if you were a child complaining to its mother. I am not your mother. I do not want to complain, but let me say to you that mine is a long and dusty road. You are to me like a shady tree in the wilderness. I would like to enjoy your shade, but my soul answered, You are pleasure-seeking. Where is your patience? Your time has not yet run its course. Have you forgotten why you went into the desert? My faith is weak. My face is blind from all that shimmering blaze of the desert sun. The heat lies on me like lead. Thirst torments me. I dare not think how unendingly long my way is, and above all, I see nothing in front of me. But the soul answered, You speak as if you had still learned nothing. Can you not wait? Should everything fall into your lap ripe and finished? You are full, yes. You teem with intentions and desirousness. Do you still not know that the way to truth stands open only to those without intentions? I know that everything you say, O my soul, is also my thought, but I hardly live according to it. The soul said, How tell me, do you then believe that your thoughts should help you? I would always like to refer to the fact that I am a human being, just a human being who is weak and sometimes does not do his best. But the soul said, Is this what you think it means to be human? You were hard, my soul, but you are right. How little we still commit ourselves to living. We should grow like a tree that likewise does not know its law. We tie ourselves up with intentions, not mindful of the fact that intention is the limitation, yes, the exclusion of life. We believe that we can illuminate the darkness with an intention and in that way aim past the light. How can we presume to want to know in advance from where the light will come to us? Let me bring only one complaint before you. I suffer from scorn, my own scorn, but my soul said to me, Do you think little of yourself? I do not believe so, my soul answered. Then listen, do you think little of me? Do you still not know that you are not writing a book to feed your vanity, but that you are speaking with me? How can you suffer from scorn if you address me with those words that I give you? Do you know then who I am? Have you grasped me, defined me, and made me into a dead formula? Have you measured the depths of my chasms and explored all the ways down which I am yet going to lead you? Scorn cannot challenge you if you are not vain to the marrow of your bones. Your truth is hard. I want to lay down my vanity before you since it blinds me. See, that is why I also believe my hands were empty when I came to you today. I do not consider that it is you who fills empty hands, if only they want to stretch out, yet they do not want to. I did not know that I am your vessel, empty without you, but brimming over with you. This was my twenty-fifth night in the desert. This is how long it took my soul to awaken from a shadowy being to her own life, until she could approach me as a freestanding being separate from me, and I received hard but salutary words from her. I needed that taking in hand, since I could not overcome the scorn within me. The spirit of this time considers itself extremely clever, like every such spirit of the time. But wisdom is simple-minded, not just simple. Because of this, the clever person mocks wisdom, since mockery is his weapon. He used the pointed, poisonous weapon, because he is struck by naive wisdom. If he were not struck, he would not need the weapon. Only in the desert do we become aware of our terrible simple-mindedness, but we are afraid of admitting it. That is why we are scornful. But mockery does not attain simple-mindedness. The mockery falls on the mocker. And in the desert where no one hears and answers, he suffocates from his own scorn. 
The cleverer you are, the more foolish your simple-mindedness. The totally clever are total fools in their simple-mindedness. We cannot save ourselves from the cleverness of the spirit of this time through increasing our cleverness, but through accepting what our cleverness hates most, namely simple-mindedness. Yet we also do not want to be artificial fools because we have fallen into simple-mindedness. Rather, we will be clever fools. That leads to supreme meaning. Cleverness couples itself with intention. Simple-mindedness knows no intention. Cleverness conquers the world, but simple-mindedness, the soul. So take on the vow of poverty of spirit in order to partake of the soul. Against this, the scorn of my cleverness rose up. Many will laugh at my foolishness, but no one will laugh more than I laughed at myself. So I overcame scorn. But when I had overcome it, I was near to my soul, and she could speak to me. And I was soon to see the desert becoming green. Thank you guys for listening to Readings Out of the Red Book, also called Liber Novus, a reader's edition, written by Carl Jung, edited and with an introduction by Sanu Shamdasani, translated by Mark Kybers, John Peck, and Sanu Shamdasani, published by the Philemon series.